0: All right, there's a seat for everyone. Yes. All right, my name's Dan Schustak. I'm here to welcome you all here this morning on this snowy January day. I would invite you to turn to the Book of Matthew. I'm going to read our passage for this morning from Matthew chapter six, (coughs) starting in verse 19 through 34. I encourage you to follow along in your in your um, Bibles or uh, the text will be up on the screen here. M- Matthew 6, starting verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body that's the reading of the Lord's word today. Um, as we continue in our service, we have um, uh, we're going. I'm going to invite um, Johnny and Gail to come up to share a little bit about their uh, trip they'll be making.
1: Hello, everyone. Um, so I'm Johnny, in case you didn't know. Johnny Duncan and my mom, Gail. Um, so we got an awesome opportunity. Um, we're going to go to... Um, Nairobi um, in Kenya. We're going to go and visit one of our missionaries there um, that we've been supporting for 35 years. Margaret Kamuyu and her husband Peter. Um, they're working right now in the Kibera slums, which is one of the biggest slums in the world. Um, and they've been working there um, with children um, trying to do a great outreach. Oh, there they are. So that's Margaret and Peter. Um, so We're going, um, this February, um, we're going the 9th through the 17th, um, and, uh, we're going to definitely need a lot of, uh, prayer. So that's, I guess that's what we're asking for is a lot of prayer, um, while we go and get ready to go there. And when we're over there, um, connecting with our missionary, um, and hopefully that through your prayer and through your support, um, this is going to be a worthwhile experience. Um you want to tell them a little bit about what she's doing there?
2: So we have the privilege of going. I think it's a really timely, um, a great time to go because about two years ago, about three quarters of what she had worked so hard, you can flip it over, worked um, she has a school that they kind of created and had buildings um, built for, and the uh, government went in and demolished three quarters of that two years ago. And so... Um, over 300 children are now kind of crammed into two little buildings. Um, they use some of the funds that we have to feed children oatmeal in the morning because they oftentimes will be like the little girl there where she, they're just so tired of not being able to eat for a day or so that they fall asleep right in school. So they eat their oatmeal and then they get one meal um, a day. And then, um, so we'll be walking with. Margaret, kind of going through the steps of her week. We'll be going um, to the school a lot. We'll be going door to door in the slum, Um, and we just want to be able to practice like our presence. CBC, here we are. After 35 years, this is our face, and um, and she will be able to kind of be able to sit with us. We'll be staying in her home in the evenings. We'll be able to share stories and just talk about God's goodness, and maybe we'll be also better kind of advocates for her, understanding for the first time what real poverty is. So please pray for us as we kind of enter her world and see things that probably very overwhelming.
3: Good morning, everyone. So since the start of the new year, we've been looking at a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, we're looking at the account in Matthew And it's the longest series of uninterrupted teachings of Jesus. So Jesus just talks and talks and talks, kind of like I might today. Um, And he had a captive audience, and so he just kept on preaching, and they kept on listening. So we've been calling this series Resolutions from the Mount, uh, because we're asking as a church, what does it look like to be Resolved as we start our new year to be resolved to do the things that jesus is asking us to do So we're asking things like what pleases god and we're trying to live accordingly and so each week though, we've been realizing that We can't ever really fully obey God's commands, and so we keep looking to Jesus who obeys them for us. And that's a key theme in this passage, that even as we're asked to do things and asked to obey, we're looking at Jesus because he obeys every single one of those commands for us. So this week we're looking at Matthew 6, 19-34, which Dan read for us earlier. And in our text this morning, Jesus prohibits three things, so he tells us three things we shouldn't do. And those three things are, we shouldn't store up treasures for ourselves on earth. We shouldn't have two two masters or serve two masters. And we shouldn't worry. So what we end up seeing is that Jesus provides an alternative for each of these for us. And so the alternative is really just himself. The alternative is Jesus. So what we're going to see, we're going to look at three points. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is our master. And Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our treasure, he's our master, and he's our provider. And in all those things, what we're going to end up seeing is that Jesus is asking us, am I enough? Am I enough? So let me pray for us as we begin. Father, thank you so much for your word, for scripture that teaches us and, and can convict us and point us Point our sin out to us, but also draw us closer to you. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would use your word this morning for that holy purpose. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, Jesus as our treasure. Here's, here's how our text begins. In verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is a pretty familiar text to a lot of us, I think. And Jesus, pretty clearly at the start, he's saying, don't store up treasures for yourself in heaven. He's saying, don't, don't store up a bunch of things. But I think when we look at this text to start, we kind of have this inherent question of what is Jesus really prohibiting and what's he really promoting? Because you could easily look at this text and say, oh, well, I guess, I guess savings accounts are sinful. I guess putting money away is, is an, un, an ungodly thing to do. But in, in 1 Timothy 5.8, for instance, it says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for a member of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what's Jesus really prohibiting, and what's He really promoting? I think that's that's our question this morning, and it's really in this key, this word treasure. So this word treasure, it's it's the Greek word thesaurus, um, and if like thesaurus sounds kind of familiar, the word you're thinking of is thesaurus, um, and those words are related. And I know that sounds like opposite things, like nobody treasures their thesaurus except I don't know a librarian or something, but Here's, here's, why those words are, here's why those words are related. Because a thesaurus is a treasure trove, so to speak, if you're a librarian, I guess, of synonyms. Like it has all this, all these awesome synonyms for words that you might, might already know how to use or not use. And so this is, this is what this word treasure is doing. So the word treasure isn't just something that we value. It's also the place where the thing... That we value is. So it's a kind of a little distinction, but it's an important one. It's not just the valuable thing, it's the place where that valuable thing is. So here's what Jesus is doing this morning He's saying, it's not wrong to store up treasures. In fact, He says, store up treasures in heaven. But He's saying, where do those treasures belong in your life? Where's the place that you're putting your treasures? Because that's this distinction here between a godly response and an ungodly response. So let me explain. I, I could store up treasure from, to pay for my kids' college or pay off my house or give to the church or cover medical expenses. All those things would be storing up treasure not on earth for myself, but maybe even in heaven. And so what the text prohibits is placing that money or those things in such a high place that they're, place, they're taking the place of Jesus himself. Because So what does the text say happens when you store up things for yourself on earth? It says, moth and vermin destroy. And in case you aren't like an exterminator, vermin, uh, vermin means essentially like parasitic insects and worms. And so because in much of Jesus' day, a lot of what they would store up would be food-related things. Like if you're going to store something up, they they weren't storing up cash, they weren't storing up Bitcoin, like they were storing up grain and things like that. And also, so they're storing up grain, which could be eaten by vermin. They were storing up fancy clothes, which could be eaten by moths. And they were storing up precious metals, which could be eaten away by rust. And so what Jesus is saying is, whatever the natural elements don't get from you, then thieves can steal from you. And so we have this challenge to us this morning of, do we really think we can keep our treasure safe? And I know a lot of times we might think, yeah, I can invest stuff so well and I can be financially conservative and I can take care of my treasure. I can take care of my treasure. But what Jesus is saying to us this morning is that every single little thing you have could be gone in an instant, And so he's saying you have two really easy options. You can either store your stuff here on earth where it will be destroyed. And if it isn't destroyed in this life, it'll be gone when you're gone. We're not trying to be like a pharaoh just loading loading your graveyard with stuff. Or you can store it up in heaven. And so, I think sometimes we have one of these experiences that recenters what treasure is for us. <coughs> Excuse me, one of mine was When I was 17, I got the chance to go to San Jose, Costa Rica. uh, And we worked in in some of the slums running a vacation Bible school. And so my, like, five years of Spanish, I went and took it and said, okay, we're going to go and hang out with a bunch of Costa Rican kids and tell them about Jesus and play around. And it was an awesome time by all. Yeah, we just loved it. But one of the nights when we were there we ended up getting invited to go to the home of one of the kids who was at the Vacation Bible School. And so my mentor and I, we go, we go, and so the Vacation Bible School, like we were going there during the day, and it was light out, and everything seemed awesome, and I don't know, some sometimes places change when it's dark a little bit, and so we end up going into a pretty rough part of San Jose late at night, and we walk into this family's home, this dirt dirt floor shack like kind of what I had pictured in some ways and we walk into their home and they just start to like lavish food on us just like I was like a six-course meal in in I was interacting with the poorest people I'd ever interacted in with in my life and it was the most generous I, the most generosity I've ever experienced too and we're just eating and eating, and, like, we can't say no, and it was, it, we had a ton of fun, even though I'm just struggling with my Spanish, and it was not that great, but I was trying. And so, when we finished up eating, I'm sitting around with some of, some of the kids, and we're playing marbles, and one of the boys had, like, six marbles or something. And we're playing them, we're flicking them around, and he's teaching me one of the games that they play at school, and as we went to leave, he, um... He insisted that I take a marble. He was like, I want to give this to you. I was like, no, no, no. Like, I know how to say no in Spanish. I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) Like, I can't take, you have six marbles. I can't take a marble from you. But he insisted that I take it. And he put it right in the palm of my hand. As As I walked out that night, I was holding it in the palm of my hand. And I was just thinking about how generous and loving he was to me. And the text says this morning, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what that little boy did that night was he treasured me. And I would contend that he treasured Jesus in the same way by treasuring me. Because what Jesus is asking when he says, treasure up your things in heaven, what he's saying is, I want you to treasure what I treasure, which is other people. And the poor and the needy. I want you to treasure what I treasure. I want you to take the stuff that you have and give it to others. And not worry so much about taking care of yourself. You show that Jesus is your treasure by treasuring what Jesus loves. And so to make us a little uncomfortable this morning, I would contend that you can draw a direct line between what you spend your money on and what you love. You can draw a direct line between your credit card statement, your checking account, and what you love. If you love your kids, you spend money on them. You buy them things. You take them places. You sign them up for sporting events. You do all those things. Some parents are nudging their kids right now. They're like, yeah, I love you. And you do. Or maybe you spend money on your education because you love it. Or you at least love the doors that it's going to open for you and the places you're going to take it. We spend money on those things. Or maybe we spend money on ice cream because we love ice cream. I know that some of you too. Yeah, we got some hands up. We love ice cream, so we spend money on it. Or maybe you have like an expensive hobby like I do, like riding bikes. And so I spend money on that hobby because I like it. But I want us to be honest in saying what we spend our money on is what we love. And so be, be a little self-reflective for a moment and think, what am I spending my money on? What am I, what am I doing? Because, so a budget, is, a budget tells a company, a church, a person, a, a state, a country, it says what that thing is focused on. And so if we looked at the budget of our lives, what are we focused on? What are we focused on? And as Brian asked us last week, where might we be a little hypocritical? Where might we be pretending, yeah, I, I totally love, I totally love the poor and the needy. Never give them any money, ever. Don't support any organizations, but I really love them. Or I really love this church. It's amazing. Don't give it any money, but really, really love it. There, these are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, if we truly say what we love, how, how do we put our money behind that in some ways? And this is what Jesus is asking us. He's saying, when, when you think about how you spend your money, what is it that you treasure? What do you treasure? Because a treasure is only a treasure because someone values it. So like a six-year-old values, they treasure their Legos. Like I, I treasured my Legos big time when I was six. And a, but a grandmother might treasure her six-year-old grandchild, and a business owner might treasure their business, and a pastor might treasure their congregation, their church. What we, what we treasure is what we value, and here's why we treasure things. Here why, here's why we value them, because they offer us something. We treasure things because they offer us something. And I would contend that they offer us some sort of mix of happiness, comfort, security. Those are the types of things that what we treasure, those are the things when we treasure those things, we treasure them because they offer us happiness, comfort, security, or some other mix of things. And we live a lot of our life trying to get those things for ourselves. We live a lot of our life thinking that we are out on our own and we need to attain those things for ourselves. We need to, we need to get that happiness, that comfort and the security. And so we're saying, whatever I need to treasure to get me those things, I'm going to go and treasure. But what Jesus, is, what Jesus is asking us this morning is to treasure him. And he's saying, because by treasuring him, you're going to get everything else. Jesus is the only true treasure, and he's the only one that isn't going to pass away. Everything else, there's moth, there's vermin, there's rust, there's thieves, there's all this stuff that's going to take away your treasure, and Jesus is the only thing that's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So let me challenge you this morning to treasure him more. To treasure him more because that's how we'll actually be more joyful. That's how we'll actually be more content. That's how we'll actually be more safe. And in 1 Peter 2.9, here's what it says. It says, you are God's chosen treasure. Same word. You are God's chosen treasure. You are God's chosen treasure. Because while we spend our days vacillating back and, to- back and forth going in between, today I kind of treasure Jesus more, like, but tomorrow I really treasured some things of this world more, Jesus stays focused on you. While we go back and forth and sometimes we want to treasure other things, sometimes we're like, okay, I can get on board with Jesus right now. He treasures us the whole time. And that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we wake up each morning and we're still God's treasure. His mind doesn't change towards us. His face doesn't go from like a smile to a frown when we sin a couple times. It stays the same the whole time. rather than store up treasures for himself on earth what did jesus do he spent his whole life treasuring things in heaven caring for the poor the sick the needy for us so that he would have so that we would have a place in his kingdom jesus treasures you so as you think about this morning how can i treasure up things in heaven the first thing you need to think about is how you can understand more and more that jesus treasures you So the next little bit, it says this. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying healthy eyes can focus. Healthy eyes can focus on light. And when they focus on the light, light comes into the whole body. So he's saying the eye is the key to all of this. What are we focusing on? And if we, if we don't have clear vision, if we're unhealthy, then we end up focusing on the darkness. And a lot of times in our world today, I think we, we think, like, I can focus on two things at the same time. Like, listen, look at me. I'm, I'm writing my paper, and I'm also, like, looking at ESPN. I don't know what you do. I sometimes do that when I write my sermon. Like, I've, I've thought before. Like, maybe I can watch the football game and do that doesn't work. But, and here's an example, all the, all the recent legislation about texting and driving. So you got your phone out and you're, and you're texting and then you're driving and then you're texting and then you're driving. You're not doing both at the same time. I know some of you think that you are. And sometimes I think that I am. I'm like, I'm driving, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on my phone. Then I'm focused on the road. Then I'm focused on my phone. Then I'm focused on the road. We can't focus on both things at the same time. And so you either have the option of focusing on Jesus, of looking up, or looking down at the earth. That's the whole, that's all you have. And I just want you to picture yourself in your car right now, and you're sitting at that stoplight, and you got your phone out, and you're kind of texting away, and Jesus is giving you a little honk. Jesus is saying, come on, get going, look up at the road. Stop looking down at the things of this earth. Stop. You can't focus on two things at the same time. You can focus on Jesus or you can focus on this world. You can bounce back and forth. We all bounce back and forth. But the more we focus on Jesus, the less we're going to focus on the things of this earth. So we have three major command sections, and the second second piece is the shortest. and, And here's our second piece. It says, no one can serve two masters. This is in verse 24. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So secondly, Jesus is our master. He's saying you can't serve God and money. You either have money as a master or you have me as a master. And what he's getting at is our lives aren't an example of like the gig economy. We can't wake up in the morning one day and say, today I'm serving money. Tomorrow I might serve God again, but today this is what I'm pursuing. This is what I'm serving. Jesus is saying the commitment level is too high. You're going to end up despising one. And you're going to end up hating one and loving the other. That's how our hearts work. And we've talked about this before, but one of, one of the greatest delusions of our world is that we think that we're in control. We think that we're in control and we spend our lives trying to gain more and more control until something happens when we definitively realize that we are not in control. And... I don't know where you are in that process, and I don't pretend as a 27-year-old to really have it figured out, but we, we often think we're in control, but we're really not. And something somewhere along the way is going to happen to you that will make you realize, I am not in control. And so Jesus is laying out these two options, saying, you can either serve God Or you can serve any created thing. Those are your two options. Again, there isn't some middle road where we serve both. We can serve God or we can serve any created thing. And so he's asking, why do we stay up late or rise early working so hard, toiling and laboring? Which master are we serving? And I think the question here is, which master do you think is going to take better care of you? Do you think God's going to take better care of you? Or, you di- or do you think those few extra dollars or those few extra thousand dollars are going to take care of you? That's our question. Who is going to take better care of me? And here's how one commentator puts it. He said, either God owns your possessions and you serve him, or your possessions own you and you serve them. Either God owns your possessions and you serve him, or your possessions own you and you serve them. Either way, being in charge is an illusion. And it might be an illusion that you can live a lot of your life in, thinking like things are going pretty well. But I know some of your stories, and I know a lot of things have happened to make you realize you're not in charge. To make you realize you don't have control. And so then you get to ask yourself, where am I going to place that control? Where, who am I going to say I'm serving? So, reflect for a moment on that. Who am I serving? And how is that going for me? Like, if I'm really honest, what master am I serving? Which master am I serving and how is that going for me? If I'm serving money or if I'm serving some other thing, is that going well for me? Because Jesus is our treasure, but he's also called to be our master. And then lastly, Jesus is our great provider. So here's how Jesus goes on in verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So lastly, Jesus tells us, don't worry because I'm your provider. One of my brother's friends just moved from San Francisco back to the Boston area, and as he moved, he ended up not having work in his new job, and so my brother's friend, Kenny, his wife, Ariel, was still working, so he didn't have to, like, rush into a job, thankfully, and so, like, a a couple weeks into his unemployment, he was like, I want to go visit my friend in Canada, and so he books a trip to Canada. And as he, as he arrives and, you know, you talk to the border patrol agent now and, and they like ask you a bunch of questions like, who are you? And why are you coming to our country? And uh, related questions like that. And so Kenny kind of strolls up to the border patrol agent and, and they, and they ask him like, so why are you coming to Canada? And he's like, because I want to. And the guy's like, okay. Um, are you here for work or play or something in between? And he's like, yeah, I don't have a job right now. I'm just coming to visit my friend. So I think then the border patrol agent's like, so this, this random man has money to come into our country, but isn't working. Like, let me just follow up a little bit. So he then asked him, he says, so, so you're not working. And, and Kenny's like, yeah, no, my, my wife is working. So I don't, I don't need to. And, And the guy's like, what are you, what are you talking about? And so Kenny, Kenny, I'm not joking. He goes, I, I call my wife the great provider and she's, she's providing for this whole trip. And the guy at that point was just like, okay, just get out of here. Just get into Canada. We'll take you, I guess. And I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't help but think of that story, partly because it's so absurd to call your spouse, the great provider or any human being. Um, it's just a ridiculous thing, uh, but also because the carefreeness with which my, friend, my brother's friend, Kenny, was experiencing life was, seemed so abnormal to me. You know, that he would be so confident that things were going to be taken care of because he had someone who was providing for him. And sometimes we place that trust in humans, but I think what Jesus is asking us in some way this morning is, How can I be your provider? How can, how can I be your provider in such a way that when people ask you questions about how you're going to control things and what your plan is and all this stuff, part of what you can just say is, I, I have a great provider in heaven. Like God's going to take care of these things. And that doesn't make you like Kenny unemployed and like not working and such, but I'm saying that it makes you so trusting that you don't need to worry about all these little details. But I, I will admit, if I'm being totally honest, I, I don't really like the command, do not worry. And here's why I don't like it, because it doesn't seem super helpful. Like if you're worrying a lot and someone just says, don't worry. You're like, great, thank you. That is entirely unhelpful to me. It's, I mean, when you have a bad habit and someone's just like, don't do it. That doesn't help you. Like if I'm biting my nails and you're like, stop biting your nails. I'm like, I'm trying, but I can't. If you're like, stop leaving the toilet seat up. I'm like, I'm trying, but I can't. I mean, these are, some of these things are unreasonable to ask people to do. (laughs) But all joking aside, telling someone not to do something doesn't necessarily help them not do them we need more than that. And so as I was studying and preparing for this sermon, I came across this definition for anxiety. And for the record, in this text, do not worry could also be translated, do not be anxious. And some of your translations might read that. Do not worry, do not be anxious. So here's this definition of anxiety. It says, anxiety is fear in search of a cause. Anxiety is fear in search of a cause. And that definition was super compelling to me because as human beings, we're always looking for more causes to worry because there's thousands of them. They're everywhere. Like you look in one new place and you're like, I need to worry about that. And then you look over here and you're like, there's something else to worry. There's endless opportunities to worry. There's endless causes to worry. And so if we keep looking at all these causes, we're always going to keep worrying. But what Jesus is saying this morning is, look at me instead. Look at me instead. And he wants our fear and our anxiety to meet him. Jesus is trying to convince us that he's enough. He's trying to convince you that he is enough. And here's his argument. His argument, if you read the text, his argument is, you're worrying about food and clothing. But what's more important than food? Having a body. And I gave you a body, so maybe you shouldn't worry. And you're worrying about clothing. Um, and what's more, or sorry, I switched them up. You're worried about food. What's more important than food, having life. And what's more important than having clothing is having a body. And so what Jesus is trying to get at is that we're really important and that he's given us the most important things. And so he goes on to say, surely you're more valuable than the birds of the air. God feeds them. And Jesus keeps on offering these little pictures and these little arguments to say, you are really, really important. And if you can walk away with something today, with a few little things, Jesus, one of those things should be that Jesus thinks you're important. Jesus looks at each one of us and says, we're important. We're more important than birds that he takes care of. We're really, really important. And the crazy thing about our God is that through all this process, he's humble enough to be asking us, am I enough? I mean, Jesus came as an infant. He came able to be rejected. He came able for us to say, actually, I'm going to choose that other treasure. He's letting us choose. And then Jesus in verse 27, he kind of has this little mic drop moment. And I can't like mic drop a lapel mic, but if I could... I would for Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, can you by worrying add a single hour to your life? It's a good question. And and as we seek to know that Jesus is our great provider, as we seek to know that in in further and deeper ways, the only way that we're going to understand that Jesus is our great provider in the little things like how much money we're going to have or what we're going to eat or all those things, the only way we're going to understand that is if we know that he's provided for us in the biggest thing. And you probably know where I'm going here, but if Jesus has provided life for you, if he's dealt with sin and death, like the biggest thing possible, then he can provide for all the little stuff. And there's no way around that. We can't just start to trust him in the little stuff and then that will make us trust him with the biggest thing. It starts the other way around. And so if you feel like, Oh, I need to trust God more with like what's happening with my kids or with having enough money right now. If you want to trust him in those things, you got to trust him in the biggest thing first. You need to trust that he can deal with the brokenness inside of you and the brokenness out there too. So let Jesus be enough treasure for you. Let Jesus be a master for you because he's a way better master than money. And let Jesus be your great provider as well, because in his life and his death and his resurrection, he provided life. Church, Jesus is enough. He's truly enough. And so try him. Be resolved to trust him, because he's your treasure, he's your master, he's your provider, and he's enough. He's enough. And so there are two ways you can walk away from this sermon. Well, maybe three ways. You could just ignore everything I've said. Um, But the two ways I would kind of guide you towards are you can walk away thinking this sermon is all about you or thinking this sermon is all about Jesus. And here's what I mean. Hopefully, as we've been talking, you've had like little practical things running through your mind. Like, yeah, maybe that organization that I say I love, maybe I should give some money to it. Or you know, I've been worrying so much about what's going to happen with my kids and maybe I should trust a little more. Or I've been worrying so much about this relationship and I just can't fix it. I need to trust God with it. And hopefully all those practical things have been running through your mind and you're like, okay, I'm resolved to trust. Like, I'm going to trust a little bit more. And I, and I want you to have those things. I really do. But here's what I want to say. Tomorrow you're gonna to wake up and you're gonna mess it all up. You're gonna wake up and, or maybe even this afternoon, you might, you might not even make it to the parking lot before you start worrying about something. And so tomorrow, somebody's got, you're gonna, at work or at school, or at home with your kids, or online, you're gonna be on Amazon, you're just gonna be ripping off pur- purchases, so packages flying to your house constantly. You're gonna you're gonna mess this up. We're all gonna mess it up. And so if we're going to mess it up, if we're going to fail, what do we do? do? And, And here's why it's so hard to trust. It's so hard to trust because trust only happens through learned experience. Trust only happens through intimate relationship. You don't trust someone you haven't really interacted with. Some of you don't trust me. You haven't, like, interacted with me enough. And it's that relationship that builds trust relationship that builds trust. That's the power of like a long marriage. So much trust built over years and years and years. And so if we are going to trust Jesus, it's not just going to be by going and pulling up our bootstraps. Like if we have boots as big as Jim Carruthers right now, like we might, we, we can pull those up and try harder and harder, but that's not how it's going to happen. It's going to happen by learning in relationship. By learning in relationship with Jesus. And so unless we spend time with Jesus, unless we pursue him, I mean, think about it this way. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is up on a mountain and he's teaching. He's teaching, he's talking, he's teaching, he's talking. And, and then Jesus is going to walk away and he's going to go and cross the lake and he's going to go somewhere else. And you know who the people are that are going to follow these commands and going to start to trust Jesus? The people who are going to keep following Jesus. The people who are going to listen to these commands are not the people who are like, All right, got it, boss, like I'm going home. That's not how you're going to end up trusting Jesus. So let me close with this. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Grace means getting what we don't deserve. Grace means getting what we don't deserve. So, our resolution this morning should partly be just to receive what we don't deserve from Jesus. Because he wants to be our treasure, and he treasures us. He wants to be our master, and he wants to provide for us. He gives us all those things. We don't earn them. And so, be amazed by the generosity that he lavishes on you, by the kindness. That he extends towards you. Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. You're the richest person on earth if you know the deep, deep love of Jesus. I promise you that. Let me pray for us. God, when you sent your son, Jesus, you showed us that you truly are enough. When we look at Jesus, we have everything we need for this life and for the life to come. And so, Father, I pray that as we go from this place, we would be able to know and trust him and look at him. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.